Good morning, everyone. This is Barry Knapp with Ironsides Macroeconomics. It's 6.48 a.m. on Monday morning, <clears throat> April 24th. Um, S&Ps are down a couple. <clears throat> Treasuries are down uh, four to five basis points across the curve. This is obviously going to be a, uh, a huge week for earnings and uh, macro data. We'll get the first look at uh, the First quarter GDP on Thursday, we're going to get the employment cost index. We'll get no Fed speak this week, thankfully. It, we are in the uh, in the quiet period. So our note this week was titled, It's What They Pay, Not What They Say. That's a reference to um, looking at the vol markets as a gauge of sentiment relative to the various AAII surveys and all, which we find useful, but not as useful as the vol markets. And what prompted this was the decline in the VIX to nearly 16% and some breathless reporting about the amount of investor complacency. So we, we dug in a little bit. Um, that's what the first section of the note is about, is the VIX, low realized volatility, some other um, measures of market risk within the index vol market and uh, how liquidity is impacting that. The next section of the re uh, report was really the bulk of the report this week, which was about political calculus with the pending debt ceiling. Our perspective and differentiated point of view is that the real risk will come after there's a debt ceiling deal when it starts withdrawing liquidity from the system. We're not worried about a major risk off event. We do think we'll have something of a risk off event that will force a deal, but ultimately it won't be nearly as big as say 2011. Um, we then did a little bit of an FOMC meeting preview, although it's still 10 days or so away. Um, and then uh, talked a little bit about the manufacturing and inventory cycle and um, raised questions about whether manufacturing and PMIs are really starting to bottom. There's some evidence of that. We're going to get more data this week from the regional Fed surveys as well as industrial sector earnings. So um, there there is some evidence that the ratio of orders to earnings is starting to bottom. And then we did a little bit of a quick summary of earnings season so far with have 17% of S&P 500 companies having reported. So um, the, uh, the chart that we're sending out um, alongside this uh, audio summary, and we are creating a video this week too, which we'll, uh, we'll send around, um, is about liquidity. It's our measure we've been using, which is the assets owned outright by the Fed less the repo agreements that the Fed has out, including that RRP program, and then um, the Treasury General account. And there was a spike in the Treasury General account last week of some $170 billion as tax receipts came in on tax day. That tightened liquidity a little bit, and that broad measure dropped below $5 trillion for the first time. Re recall it had fallen from close to 6.3 or so to 5 last year, and that was uh, when the market was under a lot of pressure, it stabilized around $5 trillion in October, and the markets have been uh, doing fairly well since then. That is a lot of liquidity, although we know it's somewhat balkanized, but um, uh, another leg lower in liquidity we think would be a big issue. So uh, beginning with the discussion of the VIX, it went to um, nearly 16, but even at that level, it was only 0.2 standard deviations below its longer term median. So this is not all that level, low a level for the VIX, and it, it doesn't really warrant um, calls for, you know, 
market being complacent. Uh, we would note that the skew has gotten expensive since the Silicon Valley Bank, and we discussed this first the prior week, but since the Silicon Valley Bank collapse, we've seen out of the 5% out of the money call implied volatility drop by about three points. Remember, there's obviously one large uh, you know, vol selling program out there that plays some role, but of course it's broad supply and demand, but call uh, implied has come down a lot, but puts have held their bid. So that's made that skew quite expensive. The CBO E skew measure is close to two standard deviations below above its longer term means. So skew is bid. The term structure was also quite steep when the VIX first approached 16, nearly 7% from uh, six month, one month to six month VIX futures. So that's a pretty steep term structure. Clearly, um, investors are willing to pay a pretty high price for implied volatility for you know six month options. That's still a sign that uh, investors are are fairly cautious. You can see it in the sector action as well. That's something we've talked about a lot about how the defensive sectors are the most expensive sectors. So we don't think that investors are really all that complacently positioned, if you will. Um, and we think a lot of this has to do with the gravity of realized vol, which has been exceptionally low. One month uh, realized is more like 11%. And this is everything to do with that liquidity profile we've been talking about, how you know broadly it's, it's still fairly abundant, but once we get a debt ceiling deal, we think liquidity is going to uh, take another leg lower. So moving on to the political calculus of the debt ceiling deal, it's quite um, fashionable in the press, if you will, to say that Kevin McCarthy's weak and he won't be able to get his, uh, you know, Republicans in the House constituency together. Um, we think he might, and we don't think Schumer's all that strong either. Remember, his support is dependent upon a couple of senators that are pretty sympathetic to the Republican point of view, and that point of view is just look at the CBOE or CBO ten-year budget projections. Um, they are for spending up around 25% of GDP post-World War II highs. Um, that is just inflationary. It, it, it is. And so the Republican point of view is widely shared by the public. And um, we think it's a, actually a stronger position than you'd let, be led to believe by the press that's obviously so um, hostile to, to Republicans uh, generally, in some cases for good reasons, but not in, uh, not in this case. And so um, we then went back and talked about some of the other history periods of time when the debt and deficits were both rising. That was true in 91 when Bush was forced by the uh, Democrats in the House and Senate into breaking his pledge for no new taxes. That's obviously Bush Sr. Uh, Greenspan played a role in all that too as Fed chair, and that cost him the presidency. Um, we then talked about 95, 96, when Clinton Gingrich had gone to war and shut down the government, uh, 2011, 2013. And on balance, parties that have pushed for fiscal discipline have really not done well in subsequent elections, no matter which party they were from. So uh, again, this is part of our argument that the public does support fiscal discipline. Um, and so we don't think the Republican position is nearly as weak as everyone is, is describing. We're not sure we're getting any monstrous budget deal done this go around, but we do think we'll make some incremental progress in that and the um, country will move away from that 25% outlays as a percent of GDP projection that the CBO 
uh, has right now under current law. Um, but again, our main thesis here, point of differentiation for most people talking about this is we're, we are worried a little bit less about a risk off event that we think would probably be a four or 5% equity market correction um, than we are on what happens post getting a deal done when the treasury rebuilds their balances at the Fed, the G DJA account, and starts to drain liquidity from the system at a point when QT will still be running in the background and the Fed presumably will have raised rates to above 5%. Now, here we go, another Fed meeting coming. They seem hell-bent on going above 5 uh, just because, we suppose. Um, they've acknowledged that labor demand looks like it's starting to weaken. We would guess that the uh, revisions to the seasonal adjustment factors and jobless claims and continuing claims uh, woke them up a little bit about this. We've been arguing that um, labor demand has been softening for some time. Um, they also seem to have acknowledged that the risk of a credit contraction is pretty significant. Almost every region within last week's Beige Book report <clears throat> mentioned tight, tighter credit. And so that un undoubtedly is coming. We're not sure why they want to hike in that um, environment. We suppose it's just because um, they had 5% as a number and they think that they'll lose credibility without that. There's a couple of questions that will not be answered that would be nice if they were answered ahead of the FOMC meeting. One is what's really going on with consumption. We are going to get the advanced estimate of GDP on Thursday, but we're not going to really know anything about services investment or services spending, excuse, excuse me, not investment, but consumption, because you don't get the quarterly services survey till after the first advanced estimate of GDP. Um, and so uh, that question won't be answered. We will have a little bit more information about the trajectory of wage growth. Um, we've got a real divergence in the first quarter between average hourly earnings and the Atlanta Fed wage tracker. Wage tracker went up 30 basis points Average hourly earnings went down 30 basis points. We're going to get the employment cost index on, on Friday, so that'll help a little bit. Uh, we still think something looks funny with that Atlanta Fed wage tracker because it's been a pretty steady move lower for wages since the peak over a year ago. Um, so that's it on, on the Fed. We don't think they should be tightening, but apparently they're going to. Um, there's, again, some decent evidence that manufacturing is starting to uh, bottom and those PMIs could turn up in, in subsequent months. The um, S&P Global preliminary estimate went back above 50, so that should wake a few people up. The um, We got the first two of the regional Fed surveys, the Empire State and Philly Fed numbers. We're getting Dallas this morning. We'll get Richmond and Kansas City uh, later this week. And so we should uh, get an idea of whether manufacturing is indeed bottoming and starting to to turn up a little bit. Um, we're 17% in earnings season. Earnings are tracking negative 1.6% on 7.4% revenue growth. Surprise is 5.3 on earnings. That's on the high side. Best numbers we will have gotten since 2021 if it holds. Um, revenue surprise is on the low side at 1.9%, but that also implies margins are holding up better than most people thought. We've been arguing the price cost dynamics are improving here. Um, 
It's mostly financials that have reported. About half the S&P 500 financial companies have reported. We only have 19% of the consumer discretionary companies, 16% of industrials, 14% of tech. We're going to learn a lot more this week. So we'll uh, we'll have a little bit more substance around earnings in our note uh, at the end of the week. So that's it for me. Oh, one final point on earnings. Revisions are still headed up. So good news there as well. Um, we understand that it's a, it's a little bit in or, or of a contrast relative to labor demand weakening and credit contracting. Uh, we could just be at a spot where the earnings situation looks good, but um, economic risks are still growing for sure. And the Fed should not be tightening here. But um, they, again, they seem hell bent getting over 5%. So looks like that's what they're going to do. So that's it for me this week. Barry Knapp Ironsides, please have a look at the note. Um, as always, we put a lot into that. And if you're not a full subscriber, we'd love you to consider becoming one. Fair enough from Ironsides. Have a good week, everyone. Thank you.